Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church. My name is Carl Drake, and I'm a member of this congregation. I want to extend a special welcome to everyone joining us here and online this morning. Since 1858, UU Wausau has served as a vital voice for a liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We are currently worshiping both in person and online, so be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram for updates. We have a series of announcements this morning, all of which are very important, as you know. ECDC, remember that organization? Ethiopian Community Development Program is looking for drivers to help our new neighbors get to and from work. Flexibility will be made wherever is possible. Eric can be reached at 715-907-7084. Wausau's ECDC resettlement program was recognized as the most successful in the nation. Check out the ECDC Multicultural Center video on YouTube produced in Wausau. It will be shown throughout the United States. The church office will be closed tomorrow and will reopen 9 a.m. on Tuesday, February 21st. Any contributions to the March circuit rider will need to be sent to Donica by Wednesday, February 22nd. Okay, I need to wear my stewardship hat for a little bit. You remember that I do that. Don't ever forget. Um, okay, so we have pledges to date of about 280,000. Our goal is about 340. So we're about 60,000 short. Um, so I'm coming back to you for another 15%. We'll send you a letter reminding you of that. It's very important that we try to reach that goal so that we can get through the year without any cutbacks. We have a generous donor who has offered a $10,000 additional matching grant. So your additional dollars going forward the rest of this year will count twice, up to $10,000. So why not? We need your help. At this point, I also want to introduce a representative from child caring, Rachel, do you want to come forward and, and tell what? Ah, uh, sorry. I wanted to hear Rachel now. <laughs> She's a friend of mine. Okay, you're gonna have to wait. So hold your breath. Okay, folks. Um, so, where are we? I'm lost as always. And with that, let us gather our hearts and minds for worship. Please join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting. You will find the words printed in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. We gather on the ancestral home of indigenous peoples, home of the Menominee and Potawatomi and the Ho-Chunk Nation. We remember our obligations to good stewardship of these lands and right relations with their inhabitants, past and present. I invite you to open your hymnals to our opening hymn number 442, We Bid You Welcome. I'm sorry, not, that's not right. That is not right. <sighs> Apparently I need, oh my goodness, well, 
you can, you can tally our mistakes as we go. <laughs> no, 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 no. These are words of Dick Gilbert. Reverend Dick Gilbert was the longtime minister of Rochester, New York, which I always have to remember is in New York and not in Minnesota. We bid you welcome. We bid you welcome who come with weary spirit seeking rest, who come with troubles that are too much with you, who come hurt and afraid. We bid you welcome who come with hope in your heart, who come with anticipation in your step, who come proud and joyous. We bid you welcome who are seekers of a new faith, who come to probe and explore, who come to learn. We bid you welcome who enter this hall as a homecoming, who have found here room for your spirit, who find in this people a family. Whoever you are, whatever you are, wherever you are in your journey, we bid you welcome. And now, would you graciously open your hymnals to the opening hymn number 86, Blessed Spirit of Life and rise in body or spirit as you are able. Someday I'll get this all right. Would you join me in our affirmation printed in your order of service? Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament, and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve human need to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other. And please join me in singing the doxology. So this morning, 
I want to share with you an embodied prayer by Reverend Julia Hamilton that was inspired by the Benedictine nuns of Cuernavaca, Mexico. And we're going to run through it once together, and we're going to go through the instructions, and then we'll go through it one more time. Um, I'm going to give you some instructions on ways to move your body. If those ways don't feel good or don't work for your body, you are welcome to substitute your own. So for instance, if I ask you to do something with your hands, maybe you can instead move your head or your eyes or your eyebrows. So whatever feels good for you. Begin, we're going to place our feet on the earth. We feel its energy flowing through us, offering us support and strength. And we're going to relax our bodies into the earth. Then we're going to bring our hands together in prayer position with our thumbs touching our hearts. We remember our connection to the heart of all, the spirit of life that flows through us. We're going to bring our hands down, open palms up, in a gesture of gratitude. We gratefully receive the gifts of this day. We open ourselves to the unknown to receive whatever the future holds. Then we're going to touch our palms back to back, fingers pointing to the sky, in this gesture symbolic of memory. We remember our past, all that brought us here, grateful for our ancestors that made us who we are. Then we're going to place our hands one over the other, over our hearts, in a gesture recognizing our inner selves. We feel our emotions, feeling where we are right now feeling what's happening inside of us in this moment, and we give thanks for our unique self. We're going to extend our arms out, palms down. We reach for the good and sacred, a gesture symbolic of our yearning to connect and to be loved and to love. We're going to bring our arms up to the sky. We give thanks for the air we breathe, for the warmth of the sun, for every drop of rain, we acknowledge the mystery and the beauty of this universe. And then coming down, reaching for the ground, don't hit your head on the pew in front of you. We give thanks for the earth, the bounty of almost spring, false spring, we'll see. And we acknowledge the harm that we cause the earth and we ask forgiveness. Then we're going to bring our hands up to touch our forehead to our mind's eye. And we ask for clarity of wisdom, for vision to find new ways to live and love. And then we're going to bring our hands out to our sides, reaching to those near us. We are grateful for our community, for the people who travel with us on our journey. We rejoice in our living and in the larger life that connects us all. We breathe in, and we're going to call out together on three, alleluia, twice. One, two, three. Alleluia! Alleluia! Perfect. <laughs> This is a graceful morning where we're all welcome to make mistakes. So we're going to go this together. So we're going to feet on the earth, hands in prayer position to our hearts, hands down, open palms in gratitude, our hands, oh, sorry, touch our palms back to back for memory, our hands one over the other, extending our arms out and palm down, reaching for the gifts, Arms up to the sky, coming down to reach the ground. Hands up to our forehead, hands out to our sides. And then one, two, three. Alleluia! Alleluia! Thank you for participating in our embodied prayer this morning with me. I invite you to sing, uh, Go Now in Peace, not Go Now in Peace, wrong church. May peace surround you. <laughs> May peace to see graceful morning. We're all welcome to make mistakes. I think we should change the sermon. <laughs> May peace surround you as we send our children and youth off to their classes this morning.
The mission and ministry of UU Wausau is made possible by the generous support of its friends and members. Rather than pass a plate at this time, we placed an offering basket in the back of the sanctuary for you to drop a gift in. You can also stop by our website, uuwausau.org, to make a one-time or recurring gift with your credit or debit card. Thank you for your support. The collection today is going to be made for the benefit of child caring, a very, very important organization in this town. And Rachel Cherk, who were, no? You're married now? Okay. Well, come on down. Tell us all about the good things that child caring is still doing. I uh, preface that by saying that Rachel and I worked together about 10 years ago when I was working with United Way, and we were creating child care scholarships for indigent families in Marathon County. And she came up with an incredible idea about how to make them available to all families in Marathon County. And um, she's here to, you're still doing that? Come on, tell us more about it. Oh, I didn't. Thank you, Carl. Um, I'm Rachel Johnson. Johnson. Yes. yes. Carl did know me as Cherick, and I am from Child Caring, which is a local resource and referral agency um, that serves 10 counties, including Marathon County. Um, we are a resource and referral agency. We help families find child care. They can contact us, get some information, and we put it into our database of child care providers, and we send that information to them, um, and then that'll match their needs so then they can look for child care. Um, we also provide training and technical assistance to child care providers. And then we also are um, very active in the community advocating for the importance of early childhood. As Carl mentioned, that's, this is my baby that I'm gonna <laughs> talk about, um, which Carl did name for us, is the Good Start Grants program, which helps families um, pay for quality child care. Um, it's been going strong since 2014 in Marathon County. It allows families to choose a child care provider um, instead of some of the more group child care that United Way funded prior. Um, it is open to all of Marathon County. Um, very successful. You'd be happy to know that we expanded to Portage and Wood County now. So we're very thankful, and Carl was a big help with that program. Um, so that is the program that I run. We also do another program called Lena Grow, which we have our um, consultant into child care programs that are working with the teachers and the kiddos doing back and forth communication with them. So the kiddos wear like a vest that shows how many interactions they have with the kids. And then our consultant goes in and works with the teacher to show how important that communication is with the children. Um, I was told I only got three minutes, so hopefully I'm good with three minutes. But um, again, if you are interested in learning more about our agency, I'll stick around afterwards and answer any questions. Um, and we do thank you for thinking of child caring. Um, right now, child care is a huge topic in the community. Um, since I've started child caring, I think we've lost probably more, like 60% of our child care providers in the area. Um, they really do need our support. So if you know a child care provider, thank them um, because they do do very important work. Thank you.
Shantideva was an 8th century Indian Buddhist monk and scholar. And this is how he prayed. May I become at all times, both now and forever, a protector of those without protection, a guide for those who have lost their way, a ship for those with oceans to cross, a bridge for those with rivers to cross. May I become at all times, both now and forever, a sanctuary for those in danger, a lamp for those without light, a place of refuge for those who lack shelter, and a servant to all in need. For all, as long as space endures, and for as long as living beings remain, until then, may I too abide to dispel the misery of the world. Please join me in the meditative prayer hymn number 123, Spirit of Life. priest once attended a Zen Buddhist meditation retreat. In one of his interviews with the monastery's abbot, the Episcopal priest mentioned some apparently mystical experiences he kept having. The Buddhist abbot advised him to keep at his meditation, noting but paying no particular attention to the experiences, and said that Eventually, the experiences, the priest, the cushion on which he sat, and the monastery would all dissolve into the great nothingness. Well, the Episcopal priest replied that in his tradition, that could never happen because God would always be left. 
Same difference, same difference, the Buddhist abbot replied. In her book of poetry, The Awful Rowing Toward God, Anne Sexton writes, There is joy in all, in the hair I brush each morning, in the cannon towel newly washed that I rub my body with each morning, in the chapel of eggs I cook each morning, in the outcry from the kettle that heats my coffee each morning to the spoon and the chair that cry, hello there, Anne, each morning. In the godhead of the table that I set my silver plate cup open each morning. All this is God, right here in my pea green house each morning, and I mean, though often forget, to give thanks to faint down by the kitchen table in a prayer of rejoicing as the holy birds at the kitchen window peck into their marriage of seeds. So while I think of it, let me paint a thank you on my palm for this God, this laughter of the morning, lest it go unspoken. The joy that isn't shared, I heard, 
dies young. <coughs> ah, excuse me. Every, every Unitarian Universalist student for the ministry needs to spend about 10 weeks of full-time work as a chaplain. Now, being a chaplain means tending to the spiritual needs of those folks in a hospital, a nursing home, sometimes a prison. Um, for me, student chaplaincy took me um, to uh, in a couple of different community hospitals just north of Minneapolis, Minnesota, in Mercy Hospital and Unity Hospital, in Coon Rapids, and in Friendly Fridley. One of the expectations of a chaplain is to pray with her or his patients. So even before I started my chaplaincy, I started thinking about prayer. Uh, I hadn't thought about prayer, honestly, since about high school, maybe before then. Um, I didn't do anything that resembled prayer for years and years, but a fellow classmate presented me with a, a small handmade booklet of prayers, and these were prayers that Kathleen thought the average Unitarian Universalist could say without gasping or gagging or flinching. <laughs> now those prayers started out with words like Almighty Eternal One uh, or, or Divine Source of Love or, or O Holy One Source of Strength and Infinite Compassion. Uh, well, there's nothing about a Father God in any of those prayers, nothing certainly about Christ or salvation, nothing like the prayers I was used to as a child. Now, I remember the first time that somebody asked me to pray with them. I opened my little prayer book and read the most innocuous entry I could find. And she said, well, that was nice. How about the Lord's Prayer? <laughs> okay, so I started. Our Father, who art in heaven, and blessed day, she chimed in and said the rest for me. Um, later, a, a, a day or two later, I was asked by a nurse to pray with one of her patients, and he was um, wheelchair-bound, and he'd had a stroke. He was a Lutheran minister. Pastor Johnson, let's make him Pastor Johnson. And she said, I think he'd like the Lord's Prayer. So I started out, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy, okay. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Okay. And I finally said, oh, gosh, Pastor Johnson, I am sorry. I'm a Unitarian Universalist uh, student, and, and we just don't say the Our Father. And bless his heart, uh, and the man who could not speak just laughed. <laughs> just <laughs> laughed. And I'm sure that he, he, he said the Lord's Prayer in his, in his head. So, well, that afternoon, I visited the head um, of the chaplain's department, our head chaplain, and he was a lovely Episcopalian priest. Um, I explained my dilemma to him, and he presented me with my very own prayer book for the armed forces, 1988 Episcopal edition. And, and, and truly, truly, the very first prayer in there is the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed, which is, I remember, even less of. Now, just to mention, we do have a prayer book for our Unitarian Universalist people in the service. If you have anybody in the military, please send this to them. It's a lovely prayer book with, it says, sources of hope, courage, and faith for military personnel. We have a number of Unitarian Universalist chaplains in the military, and I went to school with a couple of them. They are marvelous, marvelous people. So, thank goodness, I had the Lord's Prayer already, and I used the Lord's Prayer often during my chaplaincy. I, I experienced how that prayer could quiet a roomful of anxious, sometimes almost hysterical people who were <clears throat> about to lose a, a spouse or a parent or a child or a friend. I, I saw how reciting the Lord's Prayer together could calm a confused and agitated patient. This prayer that left me so unmoved could move others to a place of comfort. Now, 
Now, another piece of student chaplaincy is the expectation that I would not just pray with folks, but I would pray for folks. Visitors and patients uh, went to the chapel and could fill out a prayer card asking that the chaplain would pray for them or their loved one. Now, prayers were asked for health to be restored, for an easy passage into death, for the for prayers were asked that the, the pregnancy test turn out positive, and prayers were asked that the pregnancy test turn out negative. I prayed for a dozen or two people, sometimes anonymously, sometimes by name, every day. Now, I don't know what those prayers did for those folks, but I know what they did for me. They calmed me, they gave me the strength to get up, to go into yet another room, ask how life was going, and then be quiet and just listen. I found myself praying not only for those prayer card folks, but praying for myself, too. And so, at this point in my reflection, some of you may be saying to yourself, prayer schmare, why the heck should I care? So, Maybe a number of you pray regularly. I don't know your spiritual practices, and I don't know how broadly or narrowly you define the word prayer. I try to break open these words of faith so I can use them as broadly as I can. So I, I thought about ask, asking for a show of hands, but that's a little too, too direct for us. So maybe one of those little auction things like side of your nose or a little... little tug on your ear, um, you know, raise your order of service, um, uh, might tell me where you are on this. So do I hear a prayer schmare bid? Okay. And, and a pretty regular praying bid, bid, pretty regular prayer bid. Um, how about prayers to an entity that you or many other people would call God. Do you meditate regularly or not? Do you display or use, well, Tibetan prayer flags or a Tibetan singing bowl or Buddhist prayer beads or a rosary? Do you have an altar in your home or office? Now, by altar, I mean a, a special pay, place that contains a chalice, a cross, maybe a Buddha or a goddess figure like Quan Lin down there. Maybe that altar has a candle, some chimes, or a spray of flowers or leaves or rocks or pine cones. Or there's a spot in your yard or the park or the woods or at the lake that is a spot of fullness, a place of great peace or joy to you. Do you have a place where you keep pictures of ancestors? Yeah, the pictures of your young daughter who died from leukemia, a memory from that baby you lost to miscarriage. The son or lover who died in an armed conflict or from AIDS or by his own hand. A happy family all together for a holiday, smiling. And do you stop at that altar every once in a while and look at these objects, look at these reminders, and think about what they represent in your life or in the life of the world? Now, I propose that these moments of contemplation, these moments of awareness, these moments of wondering are each a prayer. Not a Lord's Prayer prayer sort of prayer, an Apostles' Creed sort of prayer, but a prayer, a moment when we stop and look and listen to our lives. The coffee, the spoon, the table. So why pray? Why pray? To whom or to what? And how might we go about it? Why bother? Now, um, I started my prayer life uh, with something familiar to me. I had just gone through a... a, a, a degree, uh, some religious courses at the local um, university in Montana, and had taken um, a Buddhist, a course on Buddhism, and the lab was, of course, Buddhist meditation. And I learned the, the meditation on loving kindness, and with loving kindness, first you think of yourself, you bring yourself to mind, and, and say, may I be well, 
May I be at peace. May I be free from suffering. And, and then you think of some, a loved one. Maybe they be well, may they be at peace. May they be free from suffering. And then an acquaintance, you know, maybe the checkout clerk at the, at the grocery store. And you say that litany over again. And then, of course, like I mentioned to you um, one of these Sundays, then you think about somebody who you really don't particularly get along with. And uh, you also think about them and try to say, may they be well, may they be free from suffering. To each you send your thoughts of loving kindness, yourself included. So, well, I would do this meditation while I dried my hair in the morning. Uh, I was at, at uh, seminary, and you know, I had, I had even more hair at that time. So I thought I'd get a, a few thoughtful, quiet moments stuffed in my life somewhere between um, uh, studies of Kant or Schleiermacher or Channing or whomever we were reading that week. Um, I shared this spiritual um, semi-discipline with members of my covenant group. A uh, covenant group was a group that got together of, of Meadville Lombard students. Meadville Lombard is our uh, seminary down in Chicago. And one of them said, oh, Suzanne, we're reading a book in my spiritual disciplines class. Uh, well, I can't remember the author and I can't remember the name, but, but this is absolutely the book you need. And the book turned out to be Eric Walker Wickstrom's Simply Pray, a modern spiritual practice to deepen your life. And I have that out on my minister's bookshelf. In it, this Unitarian Universalist minister writes, let us think of prayer as an opening of oneself to the depths of life, your own life, and the greater life of which we are all a part. Whatever else it might be, a, a conversation with the divine, an internal dialogue with your own inner wisdom, a practice of calming, and centering, prayer can be understood as a movement into and through the mystery of life. So Wickstrom deconstructs several familiar prayers. Now, deconstruction was a favorite word in seminary. You had to rip apart all these things that you believed, and, and um, this worked more effectively for, for folks who really did believe in a very certain, had a very certain set of beliefs. But you ripped them apart and thought, how else can we approach this, this idea of prayer? And Wickstrom suggests four parts to prayer. First, there is the naming. Well, the naming might start with God or another word for God, source of life, spirit of love, goddess, Yahweh. We, we name our ultimate source of inspiration, where it is we find hope, what it is we would live our lives for or be willing to die for. Now, this might be the great whomever or the great whatever or to whom it may concern. It might be the great story of the universe, dear cosmos, or the movement toward love and justice. I myself often leave this part blank. Sometimes I just say, dear heart, dearest. What more is more important than the naming is that it is a time for naming all that we are thankful for, a moment of counting our blessings. Now the second portion of prayer Wickstrom calls the knowing. Now this is a time, he says, to recognize those places that call for reconciliation and atonement a time to acknowledge my faults and my failings, an opportunity to see how I would do some of the day, parts of my day differently. It's not a time to beat yourself up about some omission or commission. It's not about talking about, thinking about that wrong note you got. Who would notice, my dears? You sound wonderful. But this is a time to recognize that somehow I don't seem to be that perfect being that I was hoping for, that I was expecting to be. Not yet. What could I do differently? What could I do better? That's the naming. Now, the next part of the prayer is listening. In Christmas, Christian traditions, this might be called contemplative prayer. Listening is similar to the meditation found in Eastern traditions. In listening prayer, I try to still what Buddhists call the monkey mind, the monkey mind, all that constant chatter that's in my mind, 
This is what I need to do. This is the list I need to do. This is what I should have done. That's what I'm going to do. And give room for that still, small voice to be heard. Listening prayer, Wickstrom writes, listening prayer helps us to turn down the volume of our lives. This portion of the prayer is like uh, the kind of Buddhist meditation that begins by paying attention to our breaths, to our in-breaths and our out-breaths, counting them one by one. I can remember the first times I was doing this. You're supposed to be able to count to 10. There's always something that got in the way about three, maybe earlier. This time, I, 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 I being a word person, um, I, I attach words or f a phrase to each breath. In, calm, out, smile. In, present moment, out, precious moment. Something like Jess's seated prayer, an embodied prayer. Now finally, Wickstrom's prayer ends with loving, thinking of those nearest and dearest to us. Then, you know, this is kind of the kind of, dear God, bless mommy, bless daddy, bless my three brothers, and my beloved aunt, and my grandma, even though she's really a kind of sticky person. But loving is not only those in your inner circle, but loving is our young and boisterous neighbors, the, the homeless person you saw downtown the other day. Loving is thinking of those, that gay or trans or Native American kid who's being bullied in school. Thinking of those folks struggling with illness or grief or addiction. Thinking of that young man killed well before his four score years. Thinking of all those folks whose lives are disrupted by war, by other forms of violence, the thousands around the world hungry or homeless. Every night there's a different list. You can't put everybody in your list, but think of something. Wickstrom writes of the loving portion of prayer, we do not pray so that God knows about people's needs. We pray to make sure that we know. We bring the needs of others into our consciousness. Now, this, this is not an easy task. It is not easy to look at the world's pain, much less the pain of the person next to us, much less our own pain. Loving prayer invites us to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to the suffering and struggles of people both near to us and far away. We acknowledge our connections to others, our concerns about them. Now, prayer is, is not a simplistic gimme gimme. Um, I, I know a lot of kids who, in my kindergarten classes who are praying for that, that next video game and all sorts of things that I have no idea what they are. My grandkids are grown. But prayer is not a gimme gimme, asking for what we think we want. Prayer is asking to be changed in ways we can't imagine. Now, a different take on prayer is the writer Annie Lamott. Uh, in her book, Traveling Mercies, she simplifies things. Now, at the time, she was the single mother of a very rambunctious seven-year-old boy. And she writes about prayer. Here are the two best prayers I know. Help me, help me, help me. And ah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, she further writes, a woman I know, a single woman, says for her morning prayers, oh, whatever. And then for the evening, oh well. <laughs> but concedes that these prayers are more palatable for people without children. <clears throat> yeah. Now, in another book, um, Lamott adds, she even simplifies it more. She says the three prayers that we pray all the time are, 
help me, help me, help me. We don't know who we're asking for help, but just give me that inner strength. And then thank you, thank you, thank you. And then, oh wow, oh wow, oh wow. Her three essential prayers. A prayer is a, a spiritual devotion. Devotion means the act of being devoted uh, or giving or applying our time, our attention, ourself entirely to a particular activity, pursuit, cause, or person. So spiritual devotion takes spiritual practice, regularly and intentionally engaging in an activity or attitude that deepens our relationship with life, the life within us and the life outside of us. Now, spiritual practice doesn't just have to be, you know, all this little prayer bubble around you, this am I holy or what sort of thing. Spiritual practice is embodied. It's embodied in Tai Chi or Taekwondo. It, it may be your spiritual practice of gardening or the sacrament of kneading and rising and baking bread. It may be the way you go about fishing or hunting, entered into as a holy endeavor. A spiritual practice may be saying a grace or just holding hands in silence before each evening meal. We had Japanese students who, who stayed with us. We always said, itadakimasu. Thank you. Thank you for those who prepared this meal. Gochisosamadeshita. It was nourishing. It nourished our bodies and our spirits afterwards. A spiritual practice may be attending every Sunday at church when you can. Being Unitarian Universalist means we have made a, a promise to ourselves and a promise to each other together to engage in this journey of life, to broaden and deepen our understandings, to be devoted and disciplined practitioners of beauty and wonder, love and justice. One of my uh, goals and, and aims in deconstructing these words like prayer is so that you can say to your Lutheran friend, your Christian friend, I pray too, and you know, will know what you mean. It may, they may think you mean something different, but you have that discipline of collecting yourself and saying, thank you, thank you, help me, help me. Wow, what a sunrise. Like the sign outside a Las Vegas gambling casino, you must be present to win. Now, prayer and other spiritual devotions give us a chance to be present, to be mindful, to be open to possibilities, to stop, to look, and listen to our lives. You must be present to win. May it ever be so. May we make it so. Blessed be and amen. Now I ask you to open your hymnals to the closing hymn number 163 for the earth forever turning. This is a wonderful song written for the Misa Gaia, thus the mass of the earth, the earth mass by Paul Winter. It was recorded in the, uh, the church of, oh here, I've got it right here, in the church of um, St. John the Divine in New York City and in the Grand Canyon in 1981. Um, the text is from um, a, a, a short story by Robert Heinlein. Um, these people are on the Venus shuttle and you can tell how old this story is. Um, it's called The Green Hills of Earth. And in it, the blind poet Fizzling writes a ballad yearning for one more landing on the globe that gave us birth, and his last lyric was, may we rest our eyes on the fleecy skies and the cool green hills of earth, for the earth forever turning. May you rise in body or spirit.
distinguish the flame, we carry that light of truth, that warmth of community in our hearts with these words from Archbishop Oscar Romero, who was a, spoke out against social injustice and violence in El Salvador. He was assassinated saying mass. This is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything, and there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something, and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. So go in peace, go in hope, go in love, go in blessed unrest. Please be seated for our postlude. <laughs>